BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Section 17 of Confessions, Volumes 1 and 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen Confessions, Volumes 1 and 2 by Jean-Jacques Rousseau Anonymously translated Section 17 To return to our Aegisthus, the fluter, it was remarkable that in becoming more insupportable the traitor put on the appearance of complacence. From the first day Madame Basile had taken me under her protection, she had endeavoured to make me serviceable in the warehouse, and finding I understood arithmetic tolerably well, she proposed his teaching me to keep the books a proposition that was but indifferently received by this humorist who might perhaps be fearful of being supplanted as this failed my whole employ besides what engraving i had to do was to transcribe some bills and accounts to write several books over fair and translate commercial letters from Italian into French. All at once he thought fit to accept the before-rejected proposal, saying he would teach me bookkeeping by double entry, and put me in a situation to offer my services to Monsieur Basile on his return but there was something so false malicious and ironical in his air and manner that it was by no means calculated to inspire me with confidence madame basile replied archly that i was much obliged to him for his kind offer but she hoped fortune would be more favourable to my merits for it would be a great misfortune with so much sense that i should only be a pitiful clerk she often said she would procure me some acquaintance that might be useful she doubtless felt the necessity of parting with me and had prudently resolved on it our mute declaration had been made on thursday the Sunday following she gave a dinner, 
a jacobin of good appearance was among the guests to whom she did me the honour to present me the monk treated me very affectionately congratulated me on my late conversion mentioned several particulars of my story which plainly showed he had been made acquainted with it then tapping me familiarly on the cheek bade me be good to keep up my spirits and come to see him at his convent where he should have more opportunity to talk with me i judged him to be a person of some consequence by the deference that was paid him and by the paternal tone he assumed with madame basile to be her confessor i likewise remember that his decent familiarity was attended with an appearance of esteem and even respect for his fair penitent which then made less impression on me than at present had i possessed more experience how should i have congratulated myself on having touched the heart of a young woman respected by her confessor the table not being large enough to accommodate all the company a small one was prepared where i had the satisfaction of dining with our agreeable clerk but i lost nothing with regard to attention and good cheer for several plates were sent to the side table which were certainly not intended for him thus far all went well the ladies were in good spirits and the gentlemen very gallant while madame basile did the honours of the table with peculiar grace in the middle of the dinner we heard a chaise stop at the door and presently some one coming upstairs it was monsieur basile methinks i now see him entering in his scarlet coat with gold buttons from that day i have held the colour in abhorrence monsieur basile was a tall handsome man of good address he entered with a consequential look and an air of taking his family unawares though none but friends were present his wife ran to meet him threw her arms about his neck and gave him a thousand caresses which he received with the utmost indifference and without making any return saluted the company and took his place at table they were just beginning to speak of his journey when casting his eye on the small table he asked in a sharp tone what lad that was madame basile answered ingenuously he then inquired whether i lodged in the house and was answered in the negative why not replied he rudely since he stays here all day he might as well remain all night too the monk now interfered with a serious and true eulogium on madame basile in a few words he made mine also adding that so far from blaming he ought to further the pious charity of his wife 
since it was evident she had not passed the bounds of discretion the husband answered with an air of petulance which restrained by the presence of the monk he endeavoured to stifle it was however sufficient to let me understand he had already received information of me and that our worthy clerk had rendered me an ill office we had hardly risen from table when the latter came in triumph from his employer to inform me i must leave the house that instant and never more during my life dare to set foot there he took care to aggravate this commission by everything that could render it cruel and insulting i departed without a word my heart overwhelmed with sorrow less for being obliged to quit this amiable woman than at the thought of leaving her to the brutality of such a husband he was certainly right to wish her faithful but though prudent and well-born she was an italian that is to say tender and vindictive which made me think he was extremely imprudent in using means the most likely in the world to draw on himself the very evil he so much dreaded such was the success of my first adventure i walked several times up and down the street wishing to get a sight of what my heart incessantly regretted but i could only discover her husband or the vigilant clerk who perceiving me made a sign with the l they used in the shop which was more expressive than alluring finding therefore that i was so completely watched my courage failed and i went no more i wished at least to find out the patron she had provided me but unfortunately i did not know his name i ranged several times round the convent endeavouring in vain to meet with him at length other events banished the delightful remembrance of madame basile and in a short time i so far forgot her that i remained as simple as much a novice as ever nor did my penchant for pretty women even receive any sensible augmentation her liberality had however increased my little wardrobe though she had done this with precaution and prudence regarding neatness more than decoration and to make me comfortable rather than brilliant the coat i had brought from geneva was yet wearable she only added a hat and some linen i had no ruffles nor would she give me any not but i felt a great inclination for them she was satisfied with having put it in my power to keep myself clean though a charge to do this was unnecessary while i was to appear before her 
a few days after this catastrophe my hostess who as i have already observed was very friendly with great satisfaction informed me she had heard of a situation and that a lady of rank desired to see me i immediately thought myself in the road to great adventures that being the point to which all my ideas tended this however did not prove so brilliant as i had conceived it i waited on the lady with the servant who had mentioned me she asked a number of questions and my answers not displeasing her i immediately entered into her service not indeed in the quality of favourite but as a footman i was clothed like the rest of her people the only difference being they wore a shoulder knot which i had not and as there was no lace on her livery it appeared merely a tradesman's suit this was the unforeseen conclusion of all my great expectancies the comtesse de vercellis with whom i now lived was a widow without children her husband was a piedmontese but i always believed her to be a savoyard as i could have no conception that a native of piedmont could speak such good french and with so pure an accent she was a middle-aged woman of a noble appearance and cultivated understanding being fond of french literature in which she was well versed her letters had the expression and almost the elegance of madame de sevigny's some of them might have been taken for hers my principal employ which was by no means displeasing to me was to write from her dictating a cancer in the breast from which she suffered extremely not permitting her to write herself madame de vercellis not only possessed a good understanding but a strong and elevated soul i was with her during her last illness and saw her suffer and die without showing an instant of weakness or the least effort of constraint still retaining her feminine manners without entertaining an idea that such fortitude gave her any claim to philosophy a word which was not yet in fashion nor comprehended by her in the sense it is held at present this strength of disposition sometimes extended almost to apathy ever appearing to feel as little for others as herself and when she relieved the unfortunate it was rather for the sake of acting right than from a principle of real commiseration i frequently experienced this insensibility in some measure during the three months i remained with her it would have been natural to have had an esteem for a young man of some abilities who was incessantly under her observation and that she should think as she felt her dissolution approaching 
that after her death he would have occasion for assistance and support but whether she judged me unworthy of particular attention or that those who narrowly watched all her motions gave her no opportunity to think of any but themselves she did nothing for me i very well recollect that she showed some curiosity to know my story frequently questioning me and appearing pleased when i showed her the letters i wrote to madame de varence or explained my sentiments but as she never discovered her own she certainly did not take the right means to come at them my heart naturally communicative loved to display its feelings whenever i encountered a similar disposition but dry cold interrogatories without any sign of blame or approbation on my answers gave me no confidence not being able to determine whether my discourse was agreeable or displeasing i was ever in fear and thought less of expressing my ideas than of being careful not to say anything that might seem to my disadvantage i have since remarked that this dry method of questioning themselves into people's characters is a common trick among women who pride themselves on superior understanding these imagine that by concealing their own sentiments they shall the more easily penetrate into those of others being ignorant that this method destroys the confidence so necessary to make us reveal them a man on being questioned is immediately on his guard and if once he supposes that without any interest in his concerns you only wish to set him a-talking either he entertains you with lies is silent or examining every word before he utters it rather chooses to pass for a fool than to be the dupe of your curiosity in short it is ever a bad method to attempt to read the hearts of others by endeavouring to conceal our own. End of section seventeen. Recording by Martin Geeson in Hazelmere, Surrey. Section eighteen of Confessions, volumes one and two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Confessions, Volumes One and Two, by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, anonymously translated. Section Eighteen. Madame de Vercellis never addressed a word to me which seemed to express affection pity or benevolence she interrogated me coldly and my answers were uttered with so much timidity that she doubtless entertained but a mean opinion of my intellects for latterly she never asked me any questions 
nor said anything but what was absolutely necessary for her service she drew her judgment less from what i really was than from what she had made me and by considering me as a footman prevented my appearing otherwise i am inclined to think i suffered at that time by the same interested game of concealed manoeuvre which has counteracted me throughout my life and given me a very natural aversion for everything that has the least appearance of it madame de vercellis having no children her nephew the comte de la roque was her heir and paid his court assiduously as did her principal domestics who seeing her end approaching endeavoured to take care of themselves in short so many were busy about her that she could hardly have found time to think of me at the head of her household was a monsieur lorenzi an artful genius with a still more artful wife who had so far insinuated herself into the good graces of her mistress that she was rather on the footing of a friend than a servant she had introduced a niece of hers as lady's maid her name was mademoiselle pontal a cunning gipsy that gave herself all the airs of a waiting woman and assisted her aunt so well in besetting the countess that she only saw with their eyes and acted through their hands i had not the happiness to please this worthy triumvirate i obeyed but did not wait on them not conceiving that my duty to our general mistress required me to be a servant to her servants besides this i was a person that gave them some inquietude they saw i was not in my proper situation and feared the countess would discover it likewise and by placing me in it decrease their portions for such sort of people too greedy to be just look on every legacy given to others as a diminution of their own wealth they endeavoured therefore to keep me as much out of her sight as possible she loved to write letters in her situation but they contrived to give her a distaste to it persuading her by the aid of the doctor that it was too fatiguing and under pretence that i did not understand how to wait on her they employed two great lubberly chairmen for that purpose in a word they managed the affair so well that for eight days before she made her will i had not been permitted to enter the chamber afterwards i went in as usual and was even more assiduous than any one being afflicted at the sufferings of the unhappy lady whom i truly respected and beloved for the calmness and fortitude with which she bore her illness and often did i shed tears of real sorrow 
without being perceived by any one at length we lost her i saw her expire she had lived like a woman of sense and virtue her death was that of a philosopher i can truly say she rendered the catholic religion amiable to me by the serenity with which she fulfilled its dictates without any mixture of negligence or affectation she was naturally serious but towards the end of her illness she possessed a kind of gaiety too regular to be assumed which served as a counterpoise to the melancholy of her situation she only kept her bed two days continuing to discourse cheerfully with those about her to the very last she had bequeathed a year's wages to all the under-servants but not being on the household list i had nothing the comte de la roque however ordered me thirty livres and the new coat i had on which monsieur lorenzi would certainly have taken from me he even promised to procure me a place giving me permission to wait on him as often as i pleased accordingly i went two or three times without being able to speak to him and as i was easily repulsed returned no more whether i did wrong will be seen hereafter would i had finished what i had to say of my living at madame de vercellis's though my situation apparently remained the same i did not leave her house as i had entered it i carried with me the long and painful remembrance of a crime an insupportable weight of remorse which yet hangs on my conscience and whose bitter recollection far from weakening during a period of forty years seems to gather strength as i grow old who would believe that a childish fault should be productive of such melancholy consequences but it is for the more than probable effects that my heart cannot be consoled i have perhaps caused an amiable honest estimable girl who surely merited a better fate than myself to perish with shame and misery though it is very difficult to break up housekeeping without confusion and the loss of some property yet such was the fidelity of the domestics and the vigilance of monsieur and madame lorenzi that no article of the inventory was found wanting in short nothing was missing but a pink and silver ribbon which had been worn and belonged to mademoiselle pontal though several things of more value were in my reach this ribbon alone tempted me and accordingly i stole it as i took no great pains to conceal the bauble it was soon discovered they immediately insisted on knowing from whence i had taken it 
this perplexed me i hesitated and at length said with confusion that marion gave it to me marion was a young moriennese and had been cook to madame de vercellis ever since she left off giving entertainments for being sensible she had more need of good broths than fine ragouts she had discharged her former one marion was not only pretty but had that freshness of colour only to be found among the mountains and above all an air of modesty and sweetness which made it impossible to see her without affection she was besides a good girl virtuous and of such strict fidelity that every one was surprised at hearing her named they had not less confidence in me and judged it necessary to certify which of us was the thief marion was sent for a great number of people were present among whom was the comte de la roque she arrives they show her the ribbon i accuse her boldly she remains confused and speechless casting a look on me that would have disarmed a demon but which my barbarous heart resisted at length she denied it with firmness but without anger exhorting me to return to myself and not injure an innocent girl who had never wronged me with infernal impudence i confirmed my accusation and to her face maintained she had given me the ribbon on which the poor girl bursting into tears said these words ah rousseau i thought you a good disposition you render me very unhappy but i would not be in your situation she continued to defend herself with as much innocence as firmness but without uttering the least invective against me her moderation compared to my positive tone did her an injury as it did not appear natural to suppose on one side such diabolical assurance on the other such angelic mildness the affair could not be absolutely decided but the presumption was in my favour and the comte de la roque in sending us both away contented himself with saying the conscience of the guilty would revenge the innocent his prediction was true and is being daily verified i am ignorant what became of the victim of my calumny but there is little probability of her having been able to place herself agreeably after this as she laboured under an imputation cruel to her character in every respect the theft was a trifle yet it was a theft and what was worse employed to seduce a boy 
while the lie and obstinacy left nothing to hope from a person in whom so many vices were united i do not even look on the misery and disgrace in which i plunged her as the greatest evil who knows at her age whither contempt and disregarded innocence might have led her alas if remorse for having made her unhappy is insupportable what must i have suffered at the thought of rendering her even worse than myself the cruel remembrance of this transaction sometimes so troubles and disorders me that in my disturbed slumbers i imagine i see this poor girl enter and reproach me with my crime as though i had committed it but yesterday while in easy tranquil circumstances i was less miserable on this account but during a troubled agitated life it has robbed me of the sweet consolation of persecuted innocence and made me woefully experience what i think i have remarked in some of my works that remorse sleeps in the calm sunshine of prosperity but wakes amid the storms of adversity i could never take on me to discharge my heart of this weight in the bosom of a friend nor could the closest intimacy ever encourage me to it even with madame de varens all i could do was to own i had to accuse myself of an atrocious crime but never said in what it consisted the weight therefore has remained heavy on my conscience to this day and i can truly own the desire of relieving myself in some measure from it contributed greatly to the resolution of writing my confessions i have proceeded truly in that i have just made and it will certainly be thought i have not sought to palliate the turpitude of my offence but i should not fulfil the purpose of this undertaking did i not at the same time divulge my interior disposition and excuse myself as far as is conformable with truth never was wickedness further from my thoughts than in that cruel moment and when i accused the unhappy girl it is strange but strictly true that my friendship for her was the immediate cause of it she was present to my thoughts i formed my excuse from the first object that presented itself i accused her with doing what i meant to have done and as i designed to have given her the ribbon asserted she had given it to me when she appeared my heart was agonized but the presence of so many people was more powerful than my compunction i did not fear punishment but i dreaded shame 
i dreaded it more than death more than the crime more than all the world i would have buried hid myself in the centre of the earth invincible shame bore down every other sentiment shame alone caused all my impudence and in proportion as i became criminal the fear of discovery rendered me intrepid i felt no dread but that of being detected of being publicly and to my face declared a thief liar and calumniator an unconquerable fear of this overcame every other sensation had i been left to myself i should infallibly have declared the truth or if monsieur de la roque had taken me aside and said do not injure this poor girl if you are guilty own it i am convinced i should instantly have thrown myself at his feet but they intimidated instead of encouraging me i was hardly out of my childhood or rather was yet in it it is also just to make some allowance for my age in youth dark premeditated villainy is more criminal than in a riper age but weaknesses are much less so my fault was truly nothing more and i am less afflicted at the deed itself than for its consequences it had one good effect however in preserving me through the rest of my life from any criminal action from the terrible impression that has remained from the only one i ever committed and i think my aversion for lying proceeds in a great measure from regret at having been guilty of so black a one if it is a crime that can be expiated as i dare believe forty years of uprightness and honour on various difficult occasions with the many misfortunes that have overwhelmed my latter years may have completed it poor marion has found so many avengers in this world that however great my offence towards her i do not fear to bear the guilt with me thus have i disclosed what i had to say on this painful subject may i be permitted never to mention it again end of section 18 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey. End of Confessions, Volumes 1 and 2 by Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Section 1 of Confessions, Volumes 3 and 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. 
Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, Volumes Three and Four, by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, anonymously translated. Section One. Volume Three. Leaving the service of Madame de Vercellis nearly as I had entered it, I returned to my former hostess and remained there five or six weeks, during which time health, youth, and laziness frequently rendered my temperament importunate. I was restless, absent, and thoughtful i wept and sighed for a happiness i had no idea of though at the same time highly sensible of some deficiency this situation is indescribable few men can even form any conception of it because in general they have prevented that plenitude of life at once tormenting and delicious my thoughts were incessantly occupied with girls and women but in a manner peculiar to myself these ideas kept my senses in a perpetual and disagreeable activity though fortunately they did not point out the means of deliverance i would have given my life to have met with a mademoiselle goton but the time was past in which the play of infancy predominated increase of years had introduced shame the inseparable companion of a conscious deviation from rectitude which so confirmed my natural timidity as to render it invincible and never either at that time or since could i prevail on myself to offer a proposition favourable to my wishes unless in a manner constrained to it by previous advances even with those whose scruples i had no cause to dread my stay at madame de vercellis's had procured me some acquaintance which i thought might be serviceable to me and therefore wished to retain among others i sometimes visited a savoyard abbe monsieur Gemme, who was tutor to the comte de melared's children he was young and not much known but possessed an excellent cultivated understanding with great probity and was altogether one of the best men i ever knew he was incapable of doing me the service i then stood most in need of not having sufficient interest to procure me a situation but from him i reaped advantages far more precious which have been useful to me through life lessons of pure morality and maxims of sound judgment in the successive order of my inclinations and ideas i had ever been too high or too low 
achilles or thersites sometimes a hero at others a villain Monsieur gem took pains to make me properly acquainted with myself without sparing or giving me too much discouragement he spoke in advantageous terms of my disposition and talents adding that he foresaw obstacles which would prevent my profiting by them thus according to him they were to serve less as steps by which i should mount to fortune than as resources which might enable me to exist without one he gave me a true picture of human life of which hitherto i had formed but a very erroneous idea teaching me that a man of understanding though destined to experience adverse fortune might by skilful management arrive at happiness that there was no true felicity without virtue which was practicable in every situation he greatly diminished my admiration of grandeur by proving that those in a superior situation are neither better nor happier than those they command one of his maxims has frequently returned to my memory it was that if we could truly read the hearts of others we should feel more inclination to descend than rise this reflection the truth of which is striking without extravagance i have found of great utility in the various exigencies of my life as it tended to make me satisfied with my condition he gave me the first just conception of relative duties which my high-flown imagination had ever pictured in extremes making me sensible that the enthusiasm of sublime virtues is of little use in society that while endeavouring to rise too high we are in danger of falling and that a virtuous and uniform discharge of little duties requires as great a degree of fortitude as actions which are called heroic and would at the same time procure more honour and happiness that it was infinitely more desirable to possess the lasting esteem of those about us than at intervals to attract admiration in properly arranging the various duties between man and man it was necessary to ascend to principles the step i had recently taken and of which my present situation was the consequence naturally led us to speak of religion it will easily be conceived that the honest monsieur gem was in a great measure the original of the savoyard vicar prudence only obliging him to deliver his sentiments on certain points with more caution and reserve and explain himself with less freedom 
but his sentiments and counsels were the same not even accepting his advice to return to my country all was precisely as i have given it to the public dwelling no longer therefore on conversations which every one may see the substance of i shall only add that these wise instructions though they did not produce an immediate effect were as so many seeds of virtue and religion in my heart which were never rooted out and only required the fostering cares of friendship to bring to maturity though my conversation was not very sincere i was affected by his discourses and far from being weary was pleased with them on account of their clearness and simplicity but above all because his heart seemed interested in what he said my disposition is naturally tender i have ever been less attached to people for the good they have really done me than for that they designed to do and my feelings in this particular have seldom misled me thus i truly esteemed m gem i was in a manner his second disciple which even at that time was of inestimable service in turning me from a propensity to vice into which my idleness was leading me one day when i least expected it i was sent for by the comte de la roque having frequently called at his house without being able to speak with him i grew weary and supposing he had either forgot me or retained some unfavourable impression of me returned no more but i was mistaken in both these conjectures he had more than once witnessed the pleasure i took in fulfilling my duty to his aunt he had even mentioned it to her and afterwards spoke of it when i no longer thought of it myself he received me graciously saying that instead of amusing me with useless promises he had sought to place me to advantage that he had succeeded and would put me in a way to better my situation but the rest must depend on myself that the family into which he should introduce me being both powerful and esteemed i should need no other patrons and though at first on the footing of a servant i might be assured that if my conduct and sentiments were found above that station i should not long remain in it the end of this discourse cruelly disappointed the brilliant hopes the beginning had inspired what for ever a footman said i to myself with a bitterness which confidence presently effaced for i felt myself too superior to that situation to fear long remaining there he took me to the comte de gauvon master of horse to the queen 
and chief of the illustrious house of solar the air of dignity conspicuous in this respectable old man rendered the affability with which he received me yet more interesting he questioned me with evident interest and i replied with sincerity he then told the comte de la roque that my features were agreeable and promised intellect which he believed i was not deficient in but that was not enough and time must show the rest after which turning to me he said child almost all situations are attended with difficulties in the beginning yours however shall not have too great a portion of them be prudent and endeavour to please every one that will be almost your only employment for the rest fear nothing you shall be taken care of immediately after he went to the marquise de bray his daughter-in-law to whom he presented me and then to the abbe de gauvon his son i was elated with this beginning as i knew enough of the world already to conclude that so much ceremony is not generally used at the reception of a footman in fact i was not treated like one i dined at the steward's table did not wear a livery and the comte de favria a giddy youth having commanded me to get behind his coach his grandfather ordered that i should get behind no coach nor follow any one out of the house meantime i waited at table and did within doors the business of a footman but i did it as it were of my own free will without being appointed to any particular service and except writing some letters which were dictated to me and cutting out some ornaments for the comte de favria i was almost the absolute master of my time this trial of my discretion which i did not then perceive was certainly very dangerous and not very humane for in this state of idleness i might have contracted vices which i should not otherwise have given in to fortunately it did not produce that effect my memory retained the lessons of m gem they had made an impression on my heart and i sometimes escaped from the house of my patron to obtain a repetition of them i believe those who saw me going out apparently by stealth had no conception of my business nothing could be more prudent than the advice he gave me respecting my conduct my beginning was admirable so much attention assiduity and zeal had charmed every one the abbe gem advised me to moderate this first ardour lest i should relax and that relaxation should be considered as neglect 
your setting out said he is the rule of what will be expected of you endeavour gradually to increase your attentions but be cautious how you diminish them as they paid but little attention to my trifling talents and supposed i possessed no more than nature had given me there was no appearance notwithstanding the promises of comte de gauvon of my meeting with any particular consideration some objects of more consequence had intervened the marquis de bray son of the comte de gauvon was then ambassador at vienna some circumstances had occurred at that court which for some weeks kept the family in continual agitation and left them no time to think of me meantime i had relaxed but little in my attentions though one object in the family did me both good and harm making me more secure from exterior dissipation but less attentive to my duty End of section one. Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey. Section two of Confessions, volumes three and four. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen confessions volumes three and four by jean-jacques rousseau anonymously translated section two mademoiselle de bray was about my own age tolerably handsome and very fair complexioned with black hair which notwithstanding gave her features that air of softness so natural to the flaxen and which my heart could never resist the court dress so favourable to youth showed her fine neck and shape to advantage and the mourning which was then worn seemed to add to her beauty it will be said a domestic should not take notice of these things i was certainly to blame yet i perceived all this nor was i the only one the maitre d'hotel and valet de chambre spoke of her sometimes at table with a vulgarity that pained me extremely my head however was not sufficiently turned to allow of my being entirely in love i did not forget myself or my situation i loved to see mademoiselle de bray to hear her utter anything that marked wit sense or good humour my ambition confined to a desire of waiting on her never exceeded its just rights at table i was ever attentive to make the most of them if her footman quitted her chair i instantly supplied his place 
in default of this i stood facing her seeking in her eyes what she was about to ask for and watching the moment to change her plate what would i not have given to hear her command to have her look at or speak the smallest word to me but no i had the mortification to be beneath her regard she did not even perceive i was there her brother who frequently spoke to me while at table having one day said something which i did not consider obliging i made him so arch and well-turned an answer that it drew her attention she cast her eyes upon me and this glance was sufficient to fill me with transport the next day a second occasion presented itself which i fortunately made use of a great dinner was given and i saw with astonishment for the first time the maitre d'hotel waiting at table with a sword by his side and hat on his head by chance the discourse turned on the motto of the house of solar which was with the arms worked in the tapestry tel fier qui ne tue pas as the piedmontese are not in general very perfect in the french language they found fault with the orthography saying that in the word fiert there should be no t the old comte de gauvon was going to reply when happening to cast his eyes on me he perceived i smiled without daring to say anything he immediately ordered me to speak my opinion i then said i did not think the tea superfluous fier being an old french word not derived from ferus proud threatening but from the verb ferit he strikes he wounds the motto therefore did not appear to mean some threat but some strike who do not kill the whole company fixed their eyes on me then on each other without speaking a word never was a greater degree of astonishment but what most flattered me was an air of satisfaction which i perceived on the countenance of mademoiselle de Bray this scornful lady deigned to cast on me a second look at least as valuable as the former and turning to her grandfather appeared to wait with impatience for the praise that was due to me and which he fully bestowed with such apparent satisfaction that it was eagerly chorused by the whole table this interval was short but delightful in many respects it was one of those moments so rarely met with which place things in their natural order and revenge depressed merit for the injuries of fortune some minutes after mademoiselle de bray again raised her eyes 
desiring me with a voice of timid affability to give her some drink it will easily be supposed i did not let her wait but advancing towards her i was seized with such a trembling that having filled the glass too full i spilled some of the water on her plate and even on herself her brother asked me giddily why i trembled thus this question increased my confusion while the face of mademoiselle de bray was suffused with a crimson blush here ended the romance where it may be remarked as with madame basile and others in the continuation of my life that i was not fortunate in the conclusion of my amours in vain i placed myself in the antechamber of madame de bray i could not obtain one mark of attention from her daughter she went in and out without looking at me nor had i the confidence to raise my eyes to her i was even so foolishly stupid that one day on dropping her glove as she passed instead of seizing and covering it with kisses as i would gladly have done i did not dare to quit my place but suffered it to be taken up by a great booby of a footman whom i could willingly have knocked down for his officiousness to complete my timidity i perceived i had not the good fortune to please madame de bray she not only never ordered but even rejected my services and having twice found me in her antechamber asked me dryly if i had nothing to do i was obliged therefore to renounce this dear antechamber at first it caused me some uneasiness but other things intervening i presently thought no more of it the disdain of madame de bray was fully compensated by the kindness of her father-in-law who at length began to think of me the evening after the entertainment i have already mentioned he had a conversation with me that lasted half an hour which appeared to satisfy him and absolutely enchanted me this good man had less sense than madame de vercellis but possessed more feeling i therefore succeeded much better with him he bade me attach myself to his son the abbe gauvon who had an esteem for me which if i took care to cultivate might be serviceable in furnishing me with what was necessary to complete their views for my future establishment the next morning i flew to monsieur the abbe who did not receive me as a servant but made me sit by his fireside and questioned me with great affability he soon found that my education which had attempted many things 
had completed none but observing that i understood something of latin he undertook to teach me more and appointed me to attend him every morning thus by one of the whimsicalities which have marked the whole course of my life at once above and below my natural situation i was pupil and footman in the same house and though in servitude had a preceptor whose birth entitled him to supply that place only to the children of kings the abbe de gauvon was a younger son and designed by his family for a bishopric for which reason his studies had been pursued further than is usual with people of quality he had been sent to the university of siena where he had resided some years and from whence he had brought a good portion of cruscantism designing to be that at turin which the abbe de danjou was formerly at paris being disgusted with theology he gave in to the belles lettres which is very frequent in italy with those who have entered the career of prelacy he had studied the poets and wrote tolerable latin and italian verses in a word his taste was calculated to form mine and give some order to that chaos of insignificant trash with which my brain was encumbered but whether my prating had misled him or that he could not support the trouble of teaching the elementary parts of latin he put me at first too high and i had scarcely translated a few fables of phaedrus before he put me into virgil where i could hardly understand anything it will be seen hereafter that i was destined frequently to learn latin but never to attain it i laboured with assiduity and the abbe bestowed his attention with a degree of kindness the remembrance of which even at this time both interests and softens me i passed the greater part of the morning with him as much for my own instruction as his service not that he ever permitted me to perform any menial office but to copy or write from his dictating and my employment of secretary was more useful than that of scholar and by this means i not only learned the italian in its utmost purity but also acquired a taste for literature and some discernment of composition which could not have been at la tribuse and which was useful to me when i afterwards wrote alone at this period of my life without being romantic i might reasonably have indulged the hope of preferment the abbe thoroughly pleased with me expressed his satisfaction to every one 
while his father had such a singular affection for me that i was assured by the comte de favria that he had spoken of me to the king even madame de bray had laid aside her disdainful looks in short i was a general favourite which gave great jealousy to the other servants who seeing me honoured by the instructions of their master's son were persuaded i should not remain their equal as far as i could judge by some words dropped at random and which i reflected on afterwards it appeared to me that the house of solar wishing to run the career of embassies and hoping perhaps in time to arrive at the ministry wished to provide themselves with a person of merit and talents who depending entirely on them might obtain their confidence and be of essential service this project of the comte de gauvon was judicious magnanimous and truly worthy of a powerful nobleman equally provident and generous but besides my not seeing at that time its full extent it was far too rational for my brain and required too much confinement my ridiculous ambition sought for fortune in the midst of brilliant adventures and not finding one woman in all this scheme it appeared tedious painful and melancholy though i should rather have thought it more honourable on this account as the species of merit generally patronised by women is certainly less worthy than i was supposed to possess everything succeeded to my wish i had obtained almost forced the esteem of all the trial was over and i was universally considered as a young man with flattering prospects who was not at present in his proper sphere but was expected soon to reach it but my place was not assigned to me by man and i was to reach it by very difficult paths i now come to one of those characteristic traits which are so natural to me and which indeed the reader might have observed without this reflection End of section two. Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey. Section three of Confessions, volumes three and four. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions volumes three and four by jean-jacques rousseau anonymously translated section three there were at turin several new converts of my own stamp whom i neither liked nor wished to see 
but i had met with some genevese who were not of this description and among others a monsieur mussard nicknamed Rhineck, a miniature painter and a distant relation this monsieur mussard having learned my situation at the comte de gauvon's came to see me with another genevese named bacle who had been my comrade during my apprenticeship this bacle was a very sprightly amusing young fellow full of lively sallies which at his time of life appeared extremely agreeable at once then behold me delighted with monsieur bacle charmed to such a degree that i found it impossible to quit him he was shortly to depart for geneva what a loss had i to sustain i felt the whole force of it and resolving to make the best use of this precious interval i determined not to leave him or rather he never quitted me for my head was not yet sufficiently turned to think of quitting the house without leave but it was soon perceived that he engrossed my whole time and he was accordingly forbid the house this so incensed me that forgetting everything but my friend bacle i went neither to the abbe nor the count and was no longer to be found at home i paid no attention to repeated reprimands and at length was threatened with dismissal this threat was my ruin as it suggested the idea that it was not absolutely necessary that bacle should depart alone from that moment i could think of no other pleasure no other situation or happiness than taking this journey to render the felicity still more complete at the end of it though at an immense distance i pictured to myself madame de varens for as to returning to geneva it never entered into my imagination the hills fields brooks and villages incessantly succeeded each other with new charms and this delightful jaunt seemed worthy to absorb my whole existence memory recalled with inexpressible pleasure how charming the country had appeared in coming to turin what then must it be when to the pleasure of independence should be added the company of a good-humoured comrade of my own age and disposition without any constraint or obligation but free to go or stay as we pleased would it not be madness to sacrifice the prospect of so much felicity to projects of ambition slow and difficult in their execution and uncertain in their event but even supposing them realized and in their utmost splendour 
they were not worth one quarter of an hour of the sweet pleasure and liberty of youth full of these wise conclusions i conducted myself so improperly that not indeed without some trouble i got myself dismissed for on my return one night the maitre d'hôtel gave me warning on the part of the count this was exactly what i wanted for feeling spite of myself the extravagance of my conduct i wished to excuse it by the addition of injustice and ingratitude by throwing the blame on others and sheltering myself under the idea of necessity i was told the comte de favria wished to speak with me the next morning before my departure but being sensible that my head was so far turned as to render it possible for me to disobey the injunction the maitre d'hôtel declined paying the money designed me and which certainly i had very ill earned till after this visit for my kind patrons being unwilling to place me in the situation of a footman i had not any fixed wages the comte de favria though young and giddy talked to me on this occasion in the most sensible and serious manner i might add if it would not be thought vain with the utmost tenderness he reminded me in the most flattering terms of the cares of his uncle and intentions of his grandfather after having drawn in lively colours what i was sacrificing to ruin he offered to make my peace without stipulating any conditions but that i should no more see the worthless fellow who had seduced me it was so apparent that he did not say all this of himself that notwithstanding my blind stupidity i powerfully felt the kindness of my good old master but the dear journey was too firmly printed on my imagination for any consideration to balance the charm bereft of understanding firm to my purpose i hardened myself against conviction and arrogantly answered that as they had thought fit to give me warning i had resolved to take it and conceived it was now too late to retract since whatever might happen to me i was fully resolved not to be driven a second time from the same house the count justly irritated bestowed on me some names which i deserved and putting me out of his apartment by the shoulders shut the door on me i departed triumphant as if i had gained the greatest victory and fearful of sustaining a second combat even had the ingratitude to leave the house without thanking the abbe for his kindness 
to form a just conception of my delirium at that moment the excess to which my heart is subject to be heated by the most trifling incidents and the ardour with which my imagination seizes on the most attractive objects should be conceived at these times plans the most ridiculous childish and void of sense flatter my favourite idea and persuade me that it is reasonable to sacrifice everything to the possession of it would it be believed that when near nineteen any one could be so stupid as to build his hopes of future subsistence on an empty phial for example the abbe de gauvon had made me a present some weeks before of a very pretty heron fountain with which i was highly delighted playing with this toy and speaking of our departure the sage bacle and myself thought it might be of infinite advantage and enable us to lengthen our journey what in the world was so curious as a heron fountain this idea was the foundation on which we built our future fortune we were to assemble the country people in every village we might pass through and delight them with the sight of it when feasting and good cheer would be sure to pour on us abundantly for we were both firmly persuaded that provisions could cost nothing to those who grew and gathered them and if they did not stuff travellers it was downright ill-nature we pictured in all parts entertainments and weddings reckoning that without any expense but wind from our lungs and the water of our fountain we should be maintained through piedmont savoy france and indeed all the world over there was no end to our projected travels and we immediately directed our course northward rather for the pleasure of crossing the alps than from a supposed necessity of being obliged to stop at any place such was the plan on which i set out abandoning without regret my preceptors studies and hopes with the almost certain attainment of a fortune to lead the life of a real vagabond farewell to the capital adieu to the court ambition love the fair and all the great adventures into which hope had led me during the preceding year i departed with my fountain and my friend bacle a purse lightly furnished but a heart overflowing with pleasure and only thinking how to enjoy the extensive felicity which i supposed my project encircled this extravagant journey was performed almost as agreeably as i had expected 
though not exactly on the same plan not but our fountain highly amused the hostess and servants for some minutes at all the alehouses where we halted yet we found it equally necessary to pay on our departure but that gave us no concern as we never thought of depending on it entirely until our money should be expended an accident spared us that trouble our fountain was broken near bramont and in good time for we both felt without daring to own it to each other that we began to be weary of it this misfortune rendered us gayer than ever we laughed heartily at our giddiness in having forgotten that our clothes and shoes would wear out or trusting to renew them by the play of our fountain we continued our journey as merrily as we had begun it only drawing faster towards that termination where our drained purses made it necessary for us to arrive at chambery i became pensive not for the folly i had committed for never did any one think less of the past but on account of the reception i should meet with from madame de varence for i looked on her house as my paternal home i had written her an account of my reception at the comte de gauvon's she knew my expectancies and in congratulating me on my good fortune had added some wise lessons on the return i ought to make for the kindness with which they treated me she looked on my fortune as already made if not destroyed by my own negligence what then would she say on my arrival for it never entered my mind that she might shut the door against me but i dreaded the uneasiness i might give her i dreaded her reproaches to me more wounding than want i resolved to bear all in silence and if possible to appease her i now saw nothing but madame de varence in the whole universe and to live in disgrace with her was impossible i was most concerned about my companion whom i did not wish to offend and feared i should not easily get rid of i prefaced this separation by an affected coldness during the last day's journey the droll understood me perfectly in fact he was rather giddy than deficient in point of sense i expected he would have been hurt at my inconstancy but i was quite mistaken nothing affected my friend bacle for hardly had we set foot in town on our arrival in annecy before he said you are now at home embraced bade me adieu turned on his heel and disappeared 
nor have I ever heard of him since. End of section three. Recording by Martin Geeson in Hazelmere, Surrey. Section four of Confessions, volumes three and four. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Confessions, volumes three and four, by Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Anonymously translated. Section four. How did my heart beat as i approached the habitation of madame de varens my legs trembled under me my eyes were clouded with a mist i neither saw heard nor recollected any one and was obliged frequently to stop that i might draw breath and recall my bewildered senses was it fear of not obtaining that succour i stood in need of which agitated me to this degree at the age i then was does the fear of perishing with hunger give such alarms no i declare with as much truth as pride that it was not in the power of interest or indigence at any period of my life to expand or contract my heart in the course of a painful life memorable for its vicissitudes frequently destitute of an asylum and without bread i have contemplated with equal indifference both opulence and misery in want i might have begged or stolen as others have done but never could feel distress at being reduced to such necessities few men have grieved more than myself few have shed so many tears yet never did poverty or the fear of falling into it make me heave a sigh or moisten my eyelids my soul in despite of fortune has only been sensible of real good and evil which did not depend on her and frequently when in possession of everything that could make life pleasing i have been the most miserable of mortals the first glance of madame de varens banished all my fears my heart leapt at the sound of her voice i threw myself at her feet and in transports of the most lively joy pressed my lips upon her hand i am ignorant whether she had received any recent information of me i discovered but little surprise on her countenance and no sorrow poor child said she in an affectionate tone art thou here again i knew you were too young for this journey i am very glad however that it did not turn out so bad as i apprehended 
she then made me recount my history it was not long and i did it faithfully suppressing only some trifling circumstances but on the whole neither sparing nor excusing myself the question was where i could lodge she consulted her maid on this point i hardly dared to breathe during the deliberation but when i heard i was to sleep in the house i could scarce contain my joy and saw the little bundle i brought with me carried into my destined apartment with much the same sensations as saint-preux saw his chaise put up at madame de volmar's to complete all i had the satisfaction to find that this favour was not to be transitory for at a moment when they thought me attentive to something else i heard madame de varens say they may talk as they please but since providence has sent him back i am determined not to abandon him behold me then established at her house not however that i date the happiest days of my life from this period but this served to prepare me for them though that sensibility of heart which enables us truly to enjoy our being is the work of nature and perhaps a mere effect of organization yet it requires situations to unfold itself and without a certain concurrence of favourable circumstances a man born with the most acute sensibility may go out of the world without ever having been acquainted with his own temperament this was my case till that time and such perhaps it might have remained had i never known madame de varens or even having known her had i not remained with her long enough to contract that pleasing habit of affectionate sentiments with which she inspired me i dare affirm that those who only love do not feel the most charming sensations we are capable of i am acquainted with another sentiment less impetuous but a thousand times more delightful sometimes joined with love but frequently separated from it this feeling is not simply friendship it is more enchanting more tender nor do i imagine it can exist between persons of the same sex at least i have been truly a friend if ever a man was and yet never experienced it in that kind this distinction is not sufficiently clear but will become so hereafter sentiments are only distinguishable by their effects madame de varens inhabited an old house but large enough to have a handsome spare apartment which she made her drawing-room i now occupied this chamber which was in the passage i have before mentioned as the place of our first meeting 
beyond the brook and gardens was a prospect of the country which was by no means uninteresting to the young inhabitant being the first time since my residence at bosset that i had seen anything before my windows but walls roofs or the dirty street how pleasing then was this novelty it helped to increase the tenderness of my disposition for i looked on this charming landscape as the gift of my dear patroness who i could almost fancy had placed it there on purpose for me peaceably seated my eyes pursued her amidst the flowers and the verdure her charms seemed to me confounded with those of the spring my heart till now contracted here found means to expand itself and my sighs exhaled freely in this charming retreat the magnificence i had been accustomed to at turin was not to be found at madame de varens but in lieu of it there was neatness regularity and a patriarchal abundance which is seldom attached to pompous ostentation she had very little plate no china no game in her kitchen or foreign wines in her cellar but both were well furnished and at every one's service and her coffee though served in earthenware cups was excellent whoever came to her house was invited to dine there and never did labourer messenger or traveller depart without refreshment her family consisted of a pretty chambermaid from fribourg named merceret a valet from her own country called claude annet of whom i shall speak hereafter a cook and two hired chairmen when she visited which seldom happened this was a great deal to be done out of two thousand livres a year yet with good management it might have been sufficient in a country where land is extremely good and money very scarce unfortunately economy was never her favourite virtue she contracted debts paid them thus her money passed from hand to hand like a weaver's shuttle and quickly disappeared the arrangement of her housekeeping was exactly what i should have chosen and i shared it with satisfaction i was least pleased with the necessity of remaining too long at table madame de varens was so much incommoded with the first smell of soup or meat as almost to occasion fainting from this she slowly recovered talking meantime and never attempting to eat for the first half hour i could have dined thrice in the time and had ever finished my meal long before she began i then ate again for company and though by this means i usually dined twice 
felt no inconvenience from it in short i was perfectly at my ease and the happier as my situation required no care not being at this time instructed in the state of her finances i supposed her means were adequate to her expense and though i afterwards found the same abundance yet when instructed in her real situation finding her pension ever anticipated prevented me from enjoying the same tranquillity foresight with me has always embittered enjoyment in vain i saw the approach of misfortunes i was never the more likely to avoid them from the first moment of our meeting the softest familiarity was established between us and in the same degree it continued during the rest of her life child was my name mamma was hers and child and mamma we have ever continued even after a number of years had almost effaced the apparent difference of age between us i think those names convey an exact idea of our behaviour the simplicity of our manners and above all the similarity of our dispositions to me she was the tenderest of mothers ever preferring my welfare to her own pleasure and if my own satisfaction found some interest in my attachment to her it was not to change its nature but only to render it more exquisite and infatuate me with the charm of having a mother young and handsome whom i was delighted to caress i say literally to caress for never did it enter into her imagination to deny me the tenderest maternal kisses and endearments or into my heart to abuse them it will be said at length our connection was of a different kind i confess it but have patience that will come in its turn the sudden sight of her on our first interview was the only truly passionate moment she ever inspired me with and even that was principally the work of surprise with her i had neither transports nor desires but remained in a ravishing calm sensible of a happiness i could not define and thus could i have passed my whole life or even eternity without feeling an instant of uneasiness she was the only person with whom i never experienced that want of conversation which to me is so painful to endure our tete-a-tete were rather an inexhaustible chat than conversation which could only conclude from interruption so far from finding discourse difficult i rather thought it a hardship to be silent 
unless when contemplating her projects she sunk into a reverie when i silently let her meditate and gazing on her was the happiest of men i had another singular fancy which was that without pretending to the favour of a tete-a-tete i was perpetually seeking occasion to form them enjoying such opportunities with rapture and when importunate visitors broke in upon us no matter whether it was man or woman i went out murmuring not being able to remain a secondary object in her company then counting the minutes in her antechamber i used to curse these eternal visitors thinking it inconceivable how they could find so much to say because i had still more if ever i felt the full force of my attachment it was when i did not see her when in her presence i was only content when absent my uneasiness reached almost to melancholy and a wish to live with her gave me emotions of tenderness even to tears never shall i forget one great holiday while she was at vespers when i took a walk out of the city my heart full of her image and the ardent wish to pass my life with her i could easily enough see that at present this was impossible that the happiness i enjoyed would be of short duration and this idea gave to my contemplations a tincture of melancholy which however was not gloomy but tempered with a flattering hope the ringing of bells which ever particularly affects me the singing of birds the fineness of the day the beauty of the landscape the scattered country houses among which in idea i placed our future dwelling altogether struck me with an impression so lively tender melancholy and powerful that i saw myself in ecstasy transported into that happy time and abode where my heart possessing all the felicity it could desire might taste it with raptures inexpressible end of section 4 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey Section 5 of Confessions, Volumes 3 and 4. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, Volumes 3 and 4, by Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Anonymously translated. Section 5 i never recollect to have enjoyed the future with such force of illusion as at that time 
and what has particularly struck me in the recollection of this reverie is that when realized i found my situation exactly as i had imagined it if ever waking dream had an appearance of a prophetic vision it was assuredly this i was only deceived in its imaginary duration for days years and life itself passed ideally in perfect tranquillity while the reality lasted but a moment alas my most durable happiness was but as a dream which i had no sooner had a glimpse of than i instantly awoke i know not when i should have done if i was to enter into a detail of all the follies that affection for my dear madame de varens made me commit when absent from her how often have i kissed the bed on a supposition that she had slept there the curtains and all the furniture of my chamber on recollecting they were hers and that her charming hands had touched them nay the floor itself when i considered she had walked there sometimes even in her presence extravagances escaped me which only the most violent passions seemed capable of inspiring in a word there was but one essential difference to distinguish me from an absolute lover and that particular renders my situation almost inconceivable i had returned from italy not absolutely as i went there but as no one of my age perhaps ever did before being equally unacquainted with women my ardent constitution had found resources in those means by which youth of my disposition sometimes preserve their purity at the expense of health vigour and frequently of life itself my local situation should likewise be considered living with a pretty woman cherishing her image in the bottom of my heart seeing her during the whole day at night surrounded with objects that recalled her incessantly to my remembrance and sleeping in the bed where i knew she had slept what a situation who can read this without supposing me on the brink of the grave but quite the contrary that which might have ruined me acted as a preservative at least for a time intoxicated with the charm of living with her with the ardent desire of passing my life there absent or present i saw in her a tender mother an amiable sister a respected friend but nothing more meantime her image filled my heart and left room for no other object 
the extreme tenderness with which she inspired me excluded every other woman from my consideration and preserved me from the whole sex in a word i was virtuous because i loved her let these particulars which i recount but indifferently be considered and then let any one judge what kind of attachment i had for her for my part all i can say is that if it hitherto appears extraordinary it will appear much more so in the sequel my time passed in the most agreeable manner though occupied in a way which was by no means calculated to please me such as having projects to digest bills to write fair receipts to transcribe herbs to pick drugs to pound or distillations to attend and in the midst of all this came crowds of travellers beggars and visitors of all denominations sometimes it was necessary to converse at the same time with a soldier an apothecary a prebendary a fine lady and a lay brother i grumbled swore and wished all this troublesome medley at the devil while she seemed to enjoy it laughing at my chagrin till the tears ran down her cheeks what excited her mirth still more was to see that my anger was increased by not being able myself to refrain from laughter these little intervals in which i enjoyed the pleasure of grumbling were charming and if during the dispute another importunate visitor arrived she would add to her amusement by maliciously prolonging the visit meantime casting glances at me for which i could almost have beat her nor could she without difficulty refrain from laughter on seeing my constrained politeness though every moment glancing at her the look of a fury while even in spite of myself i thought the scene truly diverting all this without being pleasing in itself contributed to amuse because it made up a part of a life which i thought delightful nothing that was performed around me nothing that i was obliged to do suited my taste but everything suited my heart and i believe at length i should have liked the study of medicine had not my natural distaste to it perpetually engaged us in whimsical scenes that prevented my thinking of it in a serious light it was perhaps the first time that this art produced mirth i pretended to distinguish a physical book by its smell and what was more diverting was seldom mistaken madame de varens made me taste the most nauseous drugs 
in vain i ran or endeavoured to defend myself spite of resistance or wry faces spite of my struggles or even of my teeth when i saw her charming fingers approach my lips i was obliged to give up the contest when shut up in an apartment with all her medical apparatus any one who heard us running and shouting amidst peals of laughter would rather have imagined we had been acting a farce than preparing opiates or elixirs my time however was not entirely passed in these fooleries in the apartment which i occupied i found a few books there was the spectator puffendorf saint evremont and the henriade though i had not my old passion for books yet i amused myself with reading a part of them the spectator was particularly pleasing and serviceable to me the abbe de gauvon had taught me to read less eagerly and with a greater degree of attention which rendered my studies more serviceable i accustomed myself to reflect on elocution and the elegance of composition exercising myself in discerning pure french from my provincial idiom for example i corrected an orthographical fault which i had in common with all genevese by these two lines of the henriade soit qu'un ancien respect pour le sang de leur maître parlât encore pour lui dans le cœur de ses traîtres i was struck with the word parlât and found a t was necessary to form the third person of the subjunctive whereas i had always written and pronounced it parla as in the present of the indicative sometimes my studies were the subject of conversation with madame de varence sometimes i read to her in which i found great satisfaction and as i endeavoured to read well it was extremely serviceable to me i have already observed that her mind was cultivated her understanding was at this time in its meridian several people of learning having been assiduous to ingratiate themselves had taught her to distinguish works of merit but her taste if i may so express myself was rather protestant ever speaking warmly of belle and highly esteeming saint evremont though long since almost forgotten in france but this did not prevent her from having a taste for literature or expressing her thoughts with elegance she had been brought up with polite company and coming young to savoy by associating with people of the best fashion had lost the affected manners of her own country where the ladies mistake wit for sense and only speak in epigram 
though she had seen the court but superficially that glance was sufficient to give her a competent idea of it and notwithstanding secret jealousies and the murmurs excited by her conduct and running in debt she ever preserved friends there and never lost her pension she knew the world and was useful this was her favourite theme in our conversations and was directly opposite to my chimerical ideas though the kind of instruction i particularly had occasion for we read la bruyere together he pleased her more than la rochefoucauld who is a dull melancholy author particularly to youth who are not fond of contemplating man as he really is in moralizing she sometimes bewildered herself by the length of her discourses but by kissing her lips or hand from time to time i was easily consoled and never found them wearisome end of section 5 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.